Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of The Phantom Shark, Volume 2, Chapter 3, The Dutchman and the Aussie. Barthelme would say no more. He wouldn't even stay to talk. He hurried off down the pathway while the three young people watched in astonishment. He's completely cracked, Scotty muttered. He is not! said Barbie indignantly. Rick didn't think so either. The phantom shark. Sounds interesting. Wonder if it's supposed to be a real shark or maybe a shark ghost. We'll ask somebody else, Scotty said. Come on, no point in standing here. I'm hungry. As they resumed walking, Rick squeezed Barbie's arm. Listen, girl child, I want a word with you. I only seem like a child to him because he's so old, Barbie said gravely. I understand him perfectly. Rick smothered a grin. Okay. Only don't jump to the defense of strangers like that without thinking in the future. If that man had misunderstood, we might have had a fight on our hands. Barbie's nose went into the air. As they came out of the park, the sign of Le Bagnard was visible across the street. The restaurant was in an old stone building almost completely covered with vines. It's pretty, Barbie exclaimed. I hope the food is edible, said Rick. Let's go see. It was dim after the bright sunlight. They stood in the doorway a moment and let their eyes adjust. Then Barbie said, Oh, there's Mr. Vanderclaffens. Vanderclaffens was a rotund, jolly little Dutchman with whom Barbie had struck up a conversation on the plane. He had just gotten aboard at Suva, at the Fiji Islands. By the time the plane landed at New Caledonia, Barbie had his biography well in hand. He was originally from Batavia, and he was an independent copra buyer. Vanderclaffens visited every port in the islands regularly, traveling as far north as Manila, and as far east as Honolulu, and as far west as Penang. He had an interest in a Noumea firm. He saw the trio almost at the same moment they saw him, and he rose and hurried toward them. Ah, Miss Barbara, and Mr. Brandt, and Mr. Scott, you care for lunch? Fine, you must join me. He had only a trace of an accent. He seated them at his table and beckoned to a Chinese waiter. For lunch today is excellent soup, and an omelette you will enjoy. Sorry, there is no choice. Now tell me, how do you like Numea? It's beautiful, Barbie said enthusiastically, and Rick and Scotty agreed. Vanderclaffens nodded. It is without doubt the best port in the South. We met a couple of inhabitants, Rick said, a big American and an old man by the name of Barthelme. 
an American and big. I suppose he had a, what do you call it, a florid face. That's the man. You know him? Scotty said. I know of him. He is the representative of an American industrial firm. Even, I think, he is a vice president or something equally important. At least people tell me he spends francs as though they were centimes. His name is, ah, oh, let me see. Yes, yes, Walter Gerald. What's he doing out here? Rick asked. I am told he is making arrangements for raw materials for his industries in America. In New Caledonia, he negotiates for nickel shipments, chromite. In the Philippines, he buys silver. In Nauru and Ocean Islands, he bargains for phosphates. I am told he also is a big buyer of copra, quite out of my class. He sounds dull, Barbie remarked. I'd rather hear about old Barthelme. Vanderclaffen smiled. Oh, he is picturesque, is he not? You realize he is one of the last of a vanishing group. He came to Noumea as a convict more than half a century ago. It was a French prison colony in those days. The prison itself was called Le Bang and was located on that big island in the bay. You will see it. It is called Il Nou. The custom was that, that certain prisoners, as a reward for good behavior, were set free and permitted to farm. They were called libres or bagards. This restaurant was started by one. But Barthelme couldn't have been a convict, Barbie objected. I'm afraid he was. No one is sure about his crime, but I assure you that only dangerous criminals or political ones were sent here. Barthelme was not a political prisoner. All of them returned to France long ago. The prison no longer exists, of course. The Dutchman stopped as the light from the doorway was blotted out. Rick turned to see a long, loose-jointed man enter. He was clad in a white shirt and trousers, and he wore a seaman's cap. Vanderclaffens hailed him. Well, Kenwood! Kenwood walked to the table and smiled at them. It reminded Rick of rangy Texans he had met, but when he spoke, his voice was pure Australian. Cheero, Van. How's the stinking Cooper business? You pardon, miss. Vanderclaffens introduced the newcomer and invited him to drop a chair. Evidently, the two were old friends. I've been running into this old pirate up and down the islands for twenty years, Vanderclaffens said. He's a scavenger, deals in such oddments as crocodile hides, shark skins, lumber, shell, trepang. Scotty could see that Barbie was enthralled. A copra dealer and now a beachcomber. Have you been combing beaches for long, Mr. Kenwood? Barbie asked. The two men burst into laughter. Lord, down the crows, Kenwood exclaimed. Lass, I'm no beachcomber. I'm a respectable bloke. I am. I get my Oscar Ash strictly yaka. That's the dink of oil. Barbie stared. Do you? She said hesitantly. Rick and Scotty, who had heard Australian slang before from Digger Sears, one time made of the tarp and broke into chuckles. I think I'd better translate, Scotty said. Lord Stone the Crows is just an expression. Oscar Ash is hard cash. Yaka is hard work. And Dinkum Oil is gospel truth. Well, stalk of me, 
Yanwood exclaimed. "Here's a lad as big as all see. He shook hands again with Scotty. Barbie sighed. Will somebody translate that? Never mind, Kenwood said. We'll stick to murdering the King's English without Aussie talk. Do you trade up and down the islands by ship? Rick asked. Schooner. My own a ruddy bug. She's at the dock now. Come on down, take a look. Well, I do say, she's a witch for sailing. So easy to handle even a couple of Collins Street squatters can sail her. What are Collins Street squatters? Barbie wanted to know. Australian equivalent of drugstore cowboys, Scotty explained. What's trepang? Sea cucumbers, known as beche de mer, van der Claffens replied. The natives get them on the sea bottom. They're boiled and dried and smoked. The Chinese prize them for making soup. Wood soup, too, I might add. Kenwood smiled to the three youngsters. Now it's my turn to rack up a little info. What brings you to New Maya? Oh, not much. We're joining the tarpon here, Rick said. She's a survey ship, converted trawler. We're going somewhere to look for new fishing grounds. Shouldn't be much trouble. Plenty of fish in these waters. Any idea where you're sailing to? We just heard, Barbie put in. It was in the paper. We're going to places with wonderful names. Nana something atoll, an indispensable reef. Not a tiki atoll, Rick added. Do you know where they are? I only bought chart. Never been there. Not a tiki is due west of a spirit of Santo in the New Hebrides and about 500 miles northwest of here. Indispensable is about 150 miles north of Nonatiki. You ever hear of the Phantom Shark? Scotty inquired. The two men looked at each other, each waiting for the other to answer. Can't say I have, Kenwood said. You, Van? Not I, Van der Claffens replied. Is this Phantom Shark a real one? We don't know, Rick said. He remembered old Barthelme's frightened eyes as he warned them, and he refrained from mentioning the old man's name. Just a name we heard, Scotty explained. Mr. Kenwood, I should think trading around the islands would be a lot of fun. The Australian grinned. It used to be. When I was a Yonker, I thought it was real daring due to sail the islands. The Abos were taking heads then, but it's old stuff to me now. And sometimes it's a fair cow. Scotty saw Barbie's bewildered look. Abo is Australian for Aborigines. That's what they call the natives. Fair cow is Aussie slang for pretty punk. To Kenwood, he said. I suppose it takes weeks to make the round trip. Yeah, I usually leave here, go right up through the Hebrides, the Solomons, as far as Rabal. That's on the tip of New Britain. Then if business hasn't been too good, I sometimes go as far up as the Admiralties. About twice a year I go across to Brisbane to pick up trade goods, drop off some of the choice stuff I picked up. Too bad you can't make the trip with me. I'm leaving at dawn tomorrow. When did you get in? Van der Claffens asked. You won't tell when I went up to Suva. I went four days ago. I don't stay long. Just offload my cargo, pick up new goods and stop back again. Lunch over, the group separated. Rick, Barbie, and Scotty returned to the hotel. Vander Claffens and Kenwood went their own ways. At the hotel, Rick wondered aloud, I wonder if there's any good swimming beaches near here. But yes, the proprietor said. 
outed on Zwarta. Only a short way from here is one of the best beaches of the Pacific. You enjoy this swim? Henri can take you. I will send for him. It's a little soon after lunch to be swimming, but I guess we can loaf on the beach for a while, Scotty said. Good, I will bring you fresh towels to take to the beach with you. As they went upstairs, the proprietor bustled off. He rapped on the door while Rick and Scotty were undressing. Rick opened the door. Come on in. Thanks for the towels. You undress here? We're putting our suits on under our clothes, Rick explained. Ah, the American system, I think. Yep, strictly American, Scotty said, smiling. Incidentally, have you ever heard of something called the Phantom Shark? The man's reaction was astonishing. He turned white, and then cast a quick look at the door, as though afraid somebody might be listening. Monsieur, have the favor not to mention that name in my establishment. Ma foi, have you no fear? Rick's eyes wide. Fear? Fear of what? Of, of what you said. Name of a dog. If you have no consideration of your own hides, think of mine. I'm a family, monsieur. But what are you afraid of? Is the phantom shark a man? Scotty demanded. The proprietor bowed. If you need anything else, please call me. Henri is waiting downstairs. He hurried away. Rick and Scotty finished dressing and went downstairs, very thoughtful. By unspoken agreement, they said nothing to Barbie of the proprietor's reaction to the name. Then, in the sheer joy of swimming in the clear water, they forgot the whole affair. They alternately swam and toasted on the beach, collected seashells, and explored outcroppings of coral. After the long afternoon of the sun and salt air, they were glad to eat a light dinner at a nearby restaurant and turn in. Barbie went to her room. Scotty and Rick delayed the lobby long enough to ask the proprietor to wake them up early because the tarpon was expected in and they wanted to be at the dock to meet her. The man nodded. He seemed to have overcome his fears. I will send up breakfast from the kitchen. As they thanked him and started up the stairs, Kenwood came into the hotel. Hello? He greeted them. You staying here? So am I. He walked up the stairs with them. Then at their door, he scratched his head thoughtfully. Want me in? I'll tell you something. Sure. Come on in, Rick agreed. A lanky Australian trader took a seat on one of the twin beds. At lunch, at noon, remember, you asked about the phantom shark. Scotty stopped in the act of stripping off his shirt. You mean you know something about that? Not much. Enough to know it's no folktale. Before the war, when Rabal was the pearl setter for this part of the world, the Chinese pearl buyers used to whisper about a bloke who would appear always in the dead of night with the best pearls they'd ever seen. No one ever saw his face. He used to identify himself with a shark's tooth mixed in with the pearls. When the Chinese buyers saw that, they knew that they'd better pay up at a top price even if it meant no profit. Suppose they didn't, Rick asked. Some didn't at first. They were found with their throats cut, with a knife made of shark's teeth. Ever see one of them? Can't miss the marks it leaves. Bloody awful. Where did the pearls come from? Scotty inquired. That's another thing. Down through the islands, there were wild yarns about a huge silver shark. 
He'd park on the bottom until some poor Kanaka boy found a good one. Then he'd come up and upset the canoe. If the boy was lucky, he got away with his life, but not his pearl. If he wasn't lucky, they'd find his body later, with the mark of a phantom shark on it. Do you believe any of this? Brick asked curiously. Ken would shrug. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen any evidence. The idea of a shark lying in wait until somebody finds a pearl sounds like a fairy tale. But in my time, I found neither all the smoke might be a bit of fire. He rose and walked to the door. Didn't want to mention it in front of Van. For all his years on the islands, he's no believer in tales. I didn't want to be laughed at. Rick and Scotty walked to the door with him. Thanks for the story, Mr. Kenwood. You said you heard all this before the war? Nothing since? No, nothing since. Scotty rubbed his chin. But if this phantom shark does exist, why would he hang out near Nanatiki, an indispensable reef? Kenwood looked up and down the hall. I thought you knew that. He lowered his voice. I thought you knew that between Nanatiki and indispensable lies some of the richest deep water pearl beds in the world. Chapter 4 The Gerald Pearls Seemed to Rick as though he had hardly drifted off to sleep before he was awakened by a knock on the door. He opened his eyes and realized it was morning. It wasn't late, though, because the shadows were still long in the room and the air was cool. Scotty sat up in the next bed and called, Who is it? You open up! Got him child for you! Oh, breakfast in bed, Rick exclaimed. That's for me. He opened the door for the Javanese houseboy, who brought in a tray of coffee, rolls, and fresh mangoes, compliments of the proprietor. Did you take some to the young lady next door? Scotty asked. Yes, Missy got em. It took only a few moments to shower, brush their teeth, and get into clean slacks and shirt. Then they sat down to enjoy breakfast. We're early, Scotty said. Only seven o'clock. I guess the proprietor took us at our word, Rick agreed. Never mind. We can do some shopping before the ship gets in. Oh, I imagine Barbie will want to buy some souvenirs to send home. They were finishing the last of the fruit when Barbie knocked. Come on, you sleepy heads, she called. Rick opened the door. We've been up for hours waiting for you. Yeah, right. I can hear you snoring, Barbie jeered. I'll never snore, Scotty said with dignity. Barbie's eyebrows went up. No, then two buzzsaws must have been having a duet under my window. Come on, I want to see more of Numea. They walked past the Place de Cocotiers and into the side street, searching for shops. Later, laden with baskets, mats, and an assortment of carvings, they started back toward the hotel. They were in the market section of town, so they walked slowly, taking in the colorful scene. Dark Kanaka women bartered with dainty Javanese and with Tonkinese women, whose teeth were black from beetle. The air was redolent with the smell of foodstuffs, fish, fruit, and people. A little Javanese man stepped in front of them and bowed ingratiatingly. Missy like pearl, number one water, good color. Barbie's blue eyes opened wide. 
A real pearl? Let me see. The little man unfolded a dirty bit of cloth, exposing a tiny white globe, no larger than a match head. A voice spoke from behind them. Don't waste your time or money. They turned to meet the American whom Barbie had reprimanded the day before. You won't find good pearls in this marketplace, he said, smiling. Take my advice. You'll end up buying a piece of junk for an exorbitant price otherwise. You know pearls? Rick asked politely. I think I do. They're a hobby, if you want to call it that. Incidentally, my name is Gerald. Young lady, am I forgiven for yesterday's episode? Of course. Barbie was very gracious about it. She introduced herself to the young men. Delighted to meet you, Gerald said. It's always a pleasure to meet fellow Americans in a foreign land. Uh, perhaps you could have some chocolate with me. Rick and Scotty hesitated, but Barbie accepted. If you'll tell me something about choosing pearls, yes, we will. I'll be glad to. My hotel is around the corner. They walked with him to the town's leading hotel, a place no more elaborate than the one where they were staying. But unlike theirs, his had a dining room. Rick checked their purchases at the desk. I never thought much about pearls, Barbie explained over a steaming cup of rich chocolate, until I got a pamphlet called Daughter of the Moon. Did you know that's what pearls are called? It was full of wonderful information. Until then, I liked emeralds. Now I think I'd rather have pearls. Good choice, Gerald approved. Pearls seem alive. They have warmth. They have richness. His eyes gleamed as he warmed to his subject. Unlike other jewels, they grow to maturity. They seem to have life inside of them. Rick realized they had hit on the big man's favorite topic. You sound like a collector, sir. Rick remarked. Have you bought many pearls? Gerald lowered his voice. A fortune's worth. For the past five years, ever since I came into the Pacific, I've been trying to match a perfect string. You realize how hard that is? To put together a flawless set requires much searching and judgment. Every pearl has to be of exactly the same shade. There's considerable variation in color, you know. Then they must be graduated in size, so that each is only a trifle smaller or larger than the one beside it. It sounds wonderful, Barbie breathed. I'd love to see some real pearls. Finish your chocolate, Gerald commanded. He excused himself, rose, and walked to the hotel desk. Rick saw him speak to the desk clerk, who vanished into an inner room, reappearing in a moment with a heavy strong box. Gerald brought the box back to the table. You'll have to come to my room. I want to show you my beauties, but I'm not going to open this box in public. Rick's eyes asked Scotty a question. Scotty shrugged and then nodded. I'd like to see them myself, Rick said. He offered to help Gerald carry the heavy box, but the big man refused. His room was one flight up and had a sitting room as well as a bedroom. Rick guessed the suite was the best the town had to offer. Gerald put the strong box on a table and unlocked two heavy padlocks that held it closed. Then he moved so that the boys couldn't see what he was doing and turned the combination. Finally, he lifted the cover 
and deliberately blocking their view, lifted out a flat black case and then slammed the lid shut again. He placed the case next to the strong box and opened the lid. Barbie gasped. Inside against black velvet were row after row of pearls. The largest was almost the size of a regulation clay marble. The smallest was no larger than a buckshot. In between the extremes were rows of perfectly round pearls. Here and there were a number of blank spaces, evidently awaiting pearls of the proper size. Barbie was speechless. She put out her hand toward the case and then swiftly drew it back again. You can pick them up if you like, Gerald said, but be careful not to drop them. They're devilish hard to find when they roll under furniture. Rick could not get excited over this display. They were pretty enough, but he couldn't understand Gerald's enthusiasm or Barbie's rapture. Scotty just stared at the box and didn't say anything. Barbie and Gerald discussed them enthusiastically. They talked of weight and color. They counted the vacant spaces that must be filled before the string was complete. Then, reluctantly, Barbie helped rearrange the pearls and stood aside as the case was snapped shut. Again, Gerald lifted the lid of the strong box, interposing his big body between the box and the three young people. But this time, Scotty moved quickly on silent feet and looked over Gerald's shoulder. When the big American turned around, Scotty was looking with disinterest through the window. Thank you very much, Barbie said, and the boys echoed her. Gerald smiled. Perhaps it wasn't fair to show you so much at once, but I'll tell you what, if you'd like one pearl or perhaps two, I'll act as your agent. I expect to see, that is, I'll be in contact with a man who has some fine pearls tomorrow, probably tomorrow night. If you'll tell me what you'd like and how much you want to spend. It's no use, Barbie sighed. I do thank you, Mr. Gerald, but we'll be gone by tomorrow night. Besides, all the money we have wouldn't even buy one pearl like one of those. Gerald walked with them to the door of the hotel, then waved as they walked toward the Numea docks. It was almost 9.30, and the tarpon would arrive any time now. Scotty let Barbie get a few steps ahead and then motioned to Rick. Got something to tell you, he whispered. Rick considered. Barbie was with them. She was a full partner in this expedition. He decided that although they would definitely keep out of trouble, they would have no secrets from her. Listen, sis, he said, and he told her of their visit from Kenwood last night. Barbie listened gravely. So the phantom shark is a man, she said when they had finished. And a pearl pirate and a murderer? But I don't see why we should be afraid. We don't have any pearls, and I'm afraid we won't ever get any. That's right, Rick agreed. Scotty, what exactly is on your mind? Scotty waited until they had passed a group of Frenchmen. Didn't anything strike you as funny about that collection of Gerald's? Funny? No, it was beautiful. It was worth a tremendous amount of money, Barbie exclaimed. That's just the point. They had reached the beginning of the piers. Rick suddenly caught a glimpse of a familiar silhouette far out in the bay. He could make out the characteristic lines of the trawler, 
and this one was painted white, as no commercial fishing boat was likely to be in this part of the world. There's the tarpon, he exclaimed. Barbie and Scotty looked to see where he pointed. For long moments, they watched the slow progress of the ship. It won't be here for quite a while, Barbie said. Finish what you were going to say, Scotty. All right. I knew there was something wrong about that collection, but it didn't ring a bell right away. But now I know what it is. It was too complete. But Gerald has plenty of money. Why wouldn't it be complete? He told us how hard it was to match pearls, didn't he? And listen, I've heard stories about pearlers. They don't live on the pearls they find, you know. Their big income is from the pearl shell. They sell it for making buttons and stuff like that. When they find a pearl, it's a bonus, sort of. Well, if the pearls are that rare, and they really are, imagine how difficult it is to collect a lot of them. I guess even the biggest dealers have trouble matching strings. You know, one pearl may be worth only a couple of hundred, but if you find one exactly like it, their combined value is multiplied. I don't know exactly how much, but at a guess, if each pearl is worth 200, put them together, and they're worth maybe six or seven hundred. That's because they're hard to match. A match string like Gerald's, well, that's priceless. I begin to see what you mean, Rick said slowly. I don't, Barbie said impatiently. Well, if pearls are rare and matching them is so hard, even for a big pearl dealer, how can Gerald have put together a string like that? How many pearls would you say he had in his collection? I don't know. I didn't count them. There were maybe 300. Wouldn't you say so, Rick? Well, yeah, at least. Well, then to match him up, he must have examined about 3,000 pearls, a conservative estimate, because I don't think one out of ten is going to match. Now, do you mean to tell me he matched them by casually meeting pearl salesmen with maybe 10 or 20 pearls to choose from? And the clincher came when I peeked over his shoulder. You know what I saw in that box? More pearls? I guess. There were little boxes, Scotty said. They might have contained pearls. There was money, too. A big wad of American dollars. But that wasn't what interested me. At the bottom of the box, there was practically a handful of shark's teeth. Rick whistled. So that's how he's matched his collection. Barbie looked from one to the other. But, but if that story Mr. Kenwood told you was right, that means that Mr. Gerald... That's exactly what it means, Scotty said. I'll bet my last frank that Gerald has been dealing with the phantom shark.